Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to, we've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. All right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to The Frittle Show on KVXL 101.1 FM, Experience Liberty Radio from Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas, where we have services still, 8 o'clock, 9.45, and 11.30 are our English service times. For you Spanish speakers, our Spanish service is at 1.15, and we would love to have you, your family, your friends, your neighbors, Whoever would like to come join us on any given Sunday morning, we would love to see you here. Social distancing and masks, of course, are uh, utilized here at Liberty for our public services. I was going to say my opinion on whether or not we need them, but I won't. I'll just dive in here to what we are going to talk about today, which is some real news. There has been a plethora of news that, shall we say, is somewhat less than real running around on social media begging everyone to share it and some of you are and I sit back and I say oh 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 so let us talk about some real news shall we first of all the absolute tragedy in Beirut Lebanon when we had this uh, explosion earlier this week leaving 300,000 individuals homeless at least we have a minimum of 4,000 people injured, minimum of 100 people uh, have died as a result of this explosion, and numbers are continuing to rise. As the, uh, the city continues to search through uh, the rubble, um, I have seen a lot of speculation online about uh, who is responsible for this or if someone was attacking Lebanon with this explosion and a lot of conspiracies happening. So let me let me just lay out for you what has been presented and why I think this is actually factual. Uh, there's a lot of speculation that, oh, Israel, Israel is responsible for this. Well, here's the thing. Israel is responsible for a lot of things. And a lot of times when Israel is responsible, they have no problem with people knowing, hey, yeah, we did that. Israel came out immediately and said, we did not do that. Now, could they be lying? They could be. But I tend to think when you couple the fact that Israel says, hey, we didn't do that, with the fact that the Lebanese government is, is, has, has port authority officials under house arrest, is looking at the potential of uh, whether this was something that was a result of, of Hezbollah and potential domestic terrorism, or this was simply uh, a, a major oversight on the result of port officials, these things are being uh, considered. So in Beirut, here, here is what is being reported as being said to have happened. And I believe that this is, <clears throat> is true. It is uh, aluminum, or I'm sorry, ammonium nitrate, a chemical compound, which is said to have caused this massive explosion that had the force of a 3.5 magnitude earthquake. So there was this uh, massive stockpile of ammonium nitrate that had been stored in a hangar at Beirut's port since it's been confiscated from a ship in 2013. So for seven years, 
this ammonium nitrate has been sitting here, just sitting. And an official letter has surfaced showing that the head of the customs department repeatedly warned over and over again through the last seven years that there was a huge stockpile of ammonium nitrate stored in a hangar in the port that was a danger and has repeatedly asked for a way to remove it. So I, I don't think that this was the result of an outside organization. I don't think that Israel was involved in this. I personally doubt that Hezbollah was involved in this because we have this evidence that this has been here for literally years and that we have had individuals that are in authority saying, hey, we have a problem, we have a potential problem, we have a potential problem when you have 2,750 tons of this explosive potentially explosive it's not explosive on its own obviously it's been there for seven years and didn't explode but it is a it's ammonium nitrate is a component of fertilizer that can be explosive and there was a fire nearby the fire now again th this is where it could be that someone started a fire in order to set off this uh, ammonium nitrate so there could be domestic terrorism there but at this point we don't know uh, i think we can rule out however that this was some sort of bombing initiative because the evidence just points to, well, there was this massive amount of ammonium nitrate. Fire uh, nearby ended up causing the ammonium nitrate to go off. The issue is then what is the cause of the fire? So if, you, if you're into conspiracies and everything, that is what you should be focusing on. Not the explosion itself, but the, uh, the fire. Uh, sources in the region have told Fox News that the port has been unofficially controlled by Hezbollah, but it is still too early to say whether the explosion was an internal, uh, intentional act of terrorism or an accidental result of a lack of checks on organized crimes. But again, you have letters stating over and over again, five different letters over the years. One letter suggests that the material be exported or sold to an explosive company. Unknown if there was ever a response to this, uh, these letters. Now, for those of you that are like, yeah, it's just too convenient. I don't believe it. Why would they have all this stuff? I don't think that ammonium nitrate would be involved. Well, here's the thing. Uh, highly flammable. It was ammonium nitrate that caused the 2013 explosion at the fertilizer plant in West Texas. Do you remember that? 30 tons, 30 tons, killed 15 people, wounded 200, devastated the town. It was huge news here in the United States. I remember this very well, the fertilizer plant. That was 30 tons, okay? In this situation, you're dealing with almost 3,000 tons of the same stuff. Ammonium nitrate was also used in the 1995 Oklahoma City terror bombing that killed 168 people and in the 2011 Oslo bombing that killed 8 people. So this is a very explosive substance. And if you have nearly 3,000 tons that are sitting there, then of course, if there is a fire, whether, whether purposeful or accidental, and that stuff catches, you're going to have a major, major explosion, which is exactly what we saw happen. And that's why I believe that Israel was not involved. Whether or not Hezbollah lit a fire on purpose remains to be seen, although it would be questionable at best i think if hezbollah is controlling if this is a hezbollah controlled region why hezbollah would devastate their own 
area. Like they usually go after somebody else's area, not their own. So I tend to be on the side of this was an, a horrible, horrible accident. And we are seeing uh, so many different uh, ships and organizations just pouring into the area in an attempt to offer their support. As those numbers do continue to rise, Beirut was already uh, suffering a great deal economically, uh, especially with the, everything that's happened with COVID. So this is just a tragic situation in Lebanon. And uh, But I, I think that we need to just maybe tone it down a little bit with the conspiracies. We can have conspiracies about everything else in the world. I don't think that it does the people of Lebanon any good for us to speculate and conspiratorialize what may or may not have happened uh, there. Also this week, we had several uh, primaries happening in the United States, in Kansas, Michigan, and Missouri. Uh, We saw a lot of uh, good news, I think, uh, for Republicans. We had uh, Trump-backed candidates who have been favored to win the general election that won uh, their bids, most notably uh, Representative Roger Marshall, a conservative congressman, won the primary in Kansas against Chris Kobach, who likely would have lost in the general election. So that's a good news for Republicans there. In addition, you had uh, Tommy uh, Tuberville, who got the endorsement from Trump in the Alabama Senate primary, uh, won his race as well. That also should be now a much easier race uh, for Republicans uh, to win. Then what you saw on the Democratic side was that it was more progressive, uh, more leftist individuals that were winning uh, instead of the more traditional moderate Democrats. Specifically, we had Missouri's first congressional district was won by a guy, by, uh, by Cory Bush, who's been active in local politics for just six years. Okay, six years local politics to the congressional nominee. He defeated Representative William Clay, a 20-year incumbent, by over three points. So you have this, this progressive... Uh, who's running on uh, radical ideological changes, racial justice, and he defeats the centrist Democrat incumbent. This is something that we have seen repeated throughout primaries. There's there's emerging a theme that Trump-backed candidates are winning their primaries on the Republican side, and progressive candidates... <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> it is not the Rona. <coughs> it is, in fact... A peanut from the mini Snickers bar that I allowed myself to enjoy moments ago prior to coming on the air. Uh, but so this is this is a pattern that we are seeing happening now where we have Trump-backed candidates that are winning Republican primaries. We have the more progressive candidates winning in the Democratic primaries. That begs to infer that then we will have to see Joe Biden leaning more and more and more to the left or that we will and see him leaning more and more to the left as that appears to be the voter that is coming out to vote in the 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 hardcore democrat voters if you will which is a major shift in the democratic party and in democratic party voting if that does end up being the case i think you're going to see more and more people registering as independents as time goes on but here in nevada last month Nevadans registered as Republicans, registered more as Republicans than as Democrats. This is not something that happened. 
but election officials from Secretary of State Barbara Sagaski's office reported that the GOP gained 6,580 active voters in July, whereas the Democratic Party added 5,718 registered voters. Now, Democrats still hold a statewide voter registration over Republicans in our state. Uh, Democrats are 38% of registered voters. Republicans are 33%. Unaffiliated voters are 23%. And there are over 1.6 million active registered voters in Nevada. Now, we can help. If you, if you don't know if you are registered to vote, it's very important. Very important this year, every year. I, I talk about this all the time. I feel if Corona has shown us one thing about politics, it's that who you elect to your local uh, positions are crucial and just as, if not more important, than who you vote for for president. Okay? You have decisions being made about schools. The decisions being made about schools are being made by elected individuals that we have elected to sit on our school board. On our school boards. We have uh, elected individuals sitting in Carson City, sitting here in our own city, although Mayor Goodman has been at odds with our governor through much of this. But if you look at other cities around the country where the mayors are, are orchestrating things that many individuals may or may not like right now. You have to turn out and vote in local elections. Your local election is going to affect your life on a daily basis. And we don't always see it, but when it comes to things like corona, we start to see it when kids don't get to go to school. We start to see it when they start dictating if casinos can be open at one level and churches can be open at a different level. We start to see it when you have mayors uh, working to defund police departments, when you have city councils working to defund police departments. We vote for those people. Those people do not just magically appear with some sort of fairy dust and then sit upon the city council. No, they are voted into that position. So it is important, not only that you vote, but that you vote in all of the elections where you are able to vote. And if you don't know if you're registered to vote, you can go on the Secretary of State's website right now. You can use either your Social Security number, I believe, or your driver's license, and you can find out if you are registered to vote. You can check your voter registration. You can make sure you're registered to vote at your current address, all this sort of thing, okay? And as for mail-in voting in Nevada... <sighs> I, I do not support universal mail-in voting. I think that the, the potential for fraud skyrockets when that is the case. I understand why the governor is doing it, although I do not see how he justifies it with the actual coronavirus numbers coming out of the state of Nevada. And we'll talk about numbers on corona and what's been happening with that in a moment. But they are the numbers are plummeting in our state. And uh, to say that we can stand in line at Walmart but we can't stand in line to vote I think is ludicrous. That is my personal opinion. Obviously, the governor has his personal opinion, and I was not elected to be governor. He was, and God put him in that position. I don't know why, but that is who is in charge right now. And so, uh, in trying to give the governor the benefit of the doubt on this one, I, I don't see it. I don't get it. But what I do get is this. I do not believe that our Democrat-controlled uh, uh, assembly and our Democrat governor would be pushing mail-in ballots if they did not think that Republicans had a shot at winning Nevada this fall. So while everyone is running around decrying the evils of this thing, which and I, I would tend to agree with that, let's remember that I, I, I don't think this is something that they would care that much about unless they thought that their, uh, their seats and that this state was potentially in play 
or in jeopardy, depending on which side of the aisle you're on, uh, for the November uh, election. So that's that's very interesting. And the numbers of uh, registered voters that were registered this past month uh, would tend to support that theory. As for how mail-in voting will actually work, I believe if this holds up, which at this point I think that it will, then you will see, as we have seen elsewhere, these boxes being put out, kind of like mailboxes, <coughs> that uh, where, that will be places where if you do not feel comfortable mailing your ballot, that you can drop off your ballot in one of these boxes. I have a lot of concerns about these boxes. One, where will they be placed? Will they be fireproof? Because we have seen what, uh, what uh, rioters have done in other places just with other things they don't like. So imagine what they would do to ballot boxes and how are you going to prove that your ballot was in there or was not in there if it is, say, stolen or lit on fire or destroyed in some other way. So where, where I guess the question would be, where will these be placed? Will they be in a secure location? Will they be guarded? Will they have cameras? What is going on with these <coughs> ballot boxes if that is the direction that we go? Now, again, Personally, I'm not a fan. I think that there will be massive amounts of voter fraud. I think that there's voter fraud attempted in every election. I think this will just make that those attempts even greater, whether or not it will be successful or not, would remain to be seen. I think that uh, our president is doing the right thing in suing the state of Nevada. I think it is highly unfortunate, however, that he's suing our secretary of state. Since our Secretary of State did not support this, did not have anything to do with this, this went straight from the legislature to the governor and he signed it into law, so she does not have a choice uh, in, 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 uh, in, oh, what is the word? I can't think of it. In doing this, I can't think of the word that I was wanting, but she does not, this is not something that she was wanting to do or that she promoted. This is something that our legislature and our governor made as law, and so therefore her job is to enforce the voter laws in the state of Nevada, and this is our current voter law. So she really has nothing to do with it. Unfortunately, she's just been put in this position, and she is one of the best people uh, in, in politics that I've ever met. And I, I, f I feel for our Secretary of State. I hope you pray for her. Uh, she is a Christian woman that is just trying to do the right thing and has been put in a very incredibly difficult position, especially this year when she has the president, <clears throat> the president of the United States is suing her and she would be on, on his side with this thing, but that's just the way it's going to go. I wish we could sue uh, the legislature or Governor Sisolak instead, but... She's the one that has to orchestrate the law that they put in. Oh, boy. So that we all don't get corona going to vote. Because our health is apparently, we don't want to have to choose between being healthy and going to vote. I don't think we need to do that. Again, I think if we can stay in line in Walmart, we can stay in line to vote. That is my uh, unabashed opinion on that. But I also think that if our options are to mail in a ballot or to not vote, then you better believe I will mail in a ballot. I've said it before on this program, I have participated in mail-in absentee voting uh, for many, many elections of my lifetime, and I know that what is happening is not the same as absentee voting, obviously, and New York has a whole issue with postmarks, and they're just going to count every ballot, even if it doesn't have a postmark, and then there's this issue of, well, anybody will be able to sign the ballot, like, that's terrifying, but at the end of the day, we still are responsible to vote no matter how our leadership decides that we may or may not do that. Now, speaking of the corona that we all are needing to be protected from, this week we have learned 
that Florida, Texas, Arizona, and probably even California have reached the other side of the curve. We have learned that T-cell memory is real, and therefore, because of that, a significant portion of the population can fight off even the most severe COVID, regardless of vaccine or anything else. We've learned that hospitalized COVID patients treated with convalescent plasma may have their death rates reduced by up to 50%. We know that New York City is now experiencing nearly zero new cases or deaths, and this is not the news that we are hearing, except for New York. We're... we're <laughs> We're heralding what a great job Blasio did in New York. We're heralding what a great job Cuomo did in New York. No, 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 no. 45% of all COVID deaths in the United States came from New York, New Jersey, and I believe it was Delaware, one of the other little states right around there. New York, New Jersey, Delaware. I think it's 42% of all COVID deaths have been from nursing homes. And if you look at the graphs of actual charts of COVID cases versus COVID deaths, yes, COVID cases are rising in this country. We are testing more than we ever have before. The president is right about that. But the death level is staying basically flat. Your chance of dying from this thing is, is so minute. Even though the case numbers continue to climb, the death level is not climbing. And yet these are not the numbers that we report. This week, The Hill had an article. The U.S. reports smallest daily coronavirus cases increase in almost four weeks. The Wall Street Journal said the U.S. recorded 47,000 new cases this past Sunday, the lowest figure since July 6th. California, also down from its peak, recording 9,032 cases Saturday after a peak of over 12,000 on July 21. I'd... The numbers, the data simply does not support continued closure, continued uh, campaigning for schools to be closed. It does not support the need for uh, for uh, for mail-in voting. It, the numbers simply do not support any of this that we are seeing. And that's not to say that the virus isn't real. That's not to say that it hasn't affected real people. I know people that have had the virus. I know people that have nearly died from the virus. I understand that the virus is real, but I also understand that data means something. And the surge in cases that we have seen has not been accompanied by a surge in deaths. Now, are more young people infected this time around? And do they have a lower risk of death? Yes. That is, that I don't see how anyone could argue that, especially considering the activities, shall we call them, that have been happening in our country, uh, likely. Lately, not likely. Uh, it could be that those that are getting corona now don't have as many uh, uh, other conditions that are allowing them to fight off the virus better. That could be. It could be that our medical care has improved. I think that we could argue that. It could be that the virus has weakened and that we are building some herd immunity. I, I personally think that the reason that New York right now has zero cases is because New York was completely uh, mishandled from the aspect of how the, the closing down and everything went. And yet, in the mishandling, they're now at zero cases. And mishandling in, in air quotes, by the way. <coughs> However... The New York Times has put together data that shows a definite uh, reason for the change, and that is nursing homes, which I mentioned just a few minutes ago. 
New York Times journalists discovered that 54,000 COVID-19 deaths in long-term care facilities among patients and staffs represent 43% of all COVID-19 deaths in the United States. That's an incredible number. Almost half of those deaths occurred in New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, and Illinois. What that means is that if we can stop the virus from ripping through our nursing homes, we don't need to see a massive surge in deaths. And even if we did see a what could be considered a massive surge in deaths, it would still barely, <clears throat> excuse me, barely move the needle on the percentages of people who are getting this who are actually dying from it. And I don't know if you if you are aware of this, but nursing homes and schools are two completely demographics of people. And one might be okay. Just a, just a thought. Another thought that is brilliant. Uh, I've seen a lot of people giving credit to this for our president, and I, I credit him for, for saying it, but this is a concept that has been championed by homeschoolers and private schoolers and charter schoolers for literally decades, and that is that the, the, the money for a child should follow the student. So if you want to say, okay, we're not going to have public schools, then let's say, hey, okay, let's, take the, let's let people take their property taxes and use that to send their kid to the school that they want them to go to. And as someone who has no children, I'm all for this. Just give me my property tax money and, I, you know, you can have it then or I can have it then to use someday if there's kids in the future. But this was something I argued with conservatives <laughs> in Pennsylvania about when I worked for the Pennsylvania legislature. I was like, why, why am I paying property taxes for your children to go to school. And I understand their services and we all play into the pot and whatever. Okay, fine. But if property taxes are specifically designated for the education of our children, and then at least in the state of Pennsylvania, they were massively subsidized. And we see that across the, across the country. We have states that are subsidizing the property tax revenues to fund the schools in addition to getting federal funding for the schools. So there's all this money being poured into uh, per student. Whereas if you would take that money per student, I was talking to my mom about this the other day and she, 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 she got broken up. She like started crying. She was like, do you know what I could have done for you kids? If instead of that money being taken and sent wherever, they would have let us keep that for you. She's like, do you know what curriculum? She's like, I know right now what curriculums I would have bought that we couldn't afford. I know what things I would have. She's like, that would have, that would have changed so much for us. And we had a, we had, don't get me wrong, we had a great upbringing. We had a great education. My parents did a great job homeschooling us. Uh, every one of my siblings and I have gone to college and uh, gone through uh, undergrad, grad degrees. Uh, we had a great education. But it just really struck me when she just like, broke down. She was like, do you know what I could have done with that money? Do you know what I could have given to you guys? And there would be so much greater accountability in our educational system if the money followed the student instead of just getting dumped into different schools. And so yeah, uh, earlier this week, I think it was on Tuesday, Tuesday or Wednesday, um, Rand Paul... Uh, who's a committee member on the uh, Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee. <laughs> oh, my. 
It's amazing how much they can fit into one committee when they can't get anything done. Um, he introduced Senate Bill 4432, the support children having open opportunities for learning, which if you put that acronym together, it spells school. So the support children having open opportunities for learning act to provide parents and students with much needed flexibility and options regarding K through 12 education. He said, as the impact of the ongoing pandemic and the government response efforts continue to place parents in situations requiring greater flexibility in balancing working and providing for their family's critical needs, especially when educating their children at home, my school act grants them the flexibility by empowering them to use their own tax dollars to find the option that best fits their family's needs and allowing them to reclaim a bit of stability in uncertain times. So uh, federal education dollars currently sent to states then distributed amongst public schools this legislation would allow federal funds for K-12 to education to follow the eligible child. So I wouldn't benefit from it because it's not a state-level legislation. This is a federal level. Uh, so, the, But the federal funding would follow the eligible child, uh, whether that be in-person learning or remote learning, to the school of their choice. That could be public school. That could be private school. That could be homeschool. And the funds could be used for a, a variety of educational needs, including tuition, curriculum materials, technology, uh, special education, uh, classes outside the home, co-ops, that sort of thing. So, it also, <laughs> I love this one. This bill that he put forward ensures that every child will receive the same amount of funding regardless of where the child is enrolled. Talk about leveling the playing field in education. It ensures that students who choose to take advantage of the opportunities could still benefit from federally funded school food programs. And it protects non-public education providers from federal and state control. So just because you're getting federal money with the student coming to you does not mean that the federal government now has any say in how your private school operates. Now, obviously, there are different uh, rules for accreditation and, and health and safety and all of that. That doesn't change. But it would not, the government would now not have a right to tell you um, to dictate every aspect of your school and make it function as a public school and if it is in fact a private school just because you get money for a student there. You can read all about this. Uh, Paul.Senate.gov, uh, Senator Paul's uh, website, has a link to Senate Bill 4432 and you can read the bill in its entirety and I encourage you uh, to maybe reach out to your, uh, your senators, your congressmen, and tell them you would like to see this thing uh, happen, especially if you have kids. Okay, um, let me give you a couple bits of just kind of fun, different, interesting stuff. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Walmart has announced that it is turning its drive-through theaters. I ruined the punchline. <laughs> let me try that again. Walmart has announced that it will be turning its parking lots at 160 super centers into drive-in movie theaters. Tickets will be free. You can see movies like Black Panther, Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse, Back to the Future, and so on and so forth. I think there's eight or nine different movies that are going to be showing throughout the summer in their parking lots. Tickets will be required to make sure that there is enough space and you will have to have an FM radio capability. But bad news uh, no Las Vegas stores are actually going to be participating in this endeavor. The only Walmarts in Nevada that are taking part in this are, in fact, in Carson City. So, and I even looked in Utah. But, no. 
I couldn't find anything in southern Utah either. I didn't check Arizona. Let's see if Arizona gets anything. Arizona doesn't get anything. <laughs> Neither does California. No, it's California must. Where is the California? That's weird. On the little map, it has pins that are in California. Clearly in California, but on the actual list of locations, California is not listed. Fascinating. We also learned this week that the Las Vegas Raiders plan to play the 2020 season at Allegiant Stadium without fans. So, if you wanted to go see the Raiders play at Allegiant Stadium, you were going to have to wait. And wait, and wait some more. But, at this point, UNLV football, who will also be utilizing Allegiant Stadium, is still planning to play with fans to the best of my knowledge. So, if you would like to experience Allegiant Stadium this year, strongly recommend you go check out getting some tickets for the uh, UNLV games because that is going to be how you're going to get in to Allegiant Stadium. And also, <laughs> because it's UNLV, they'll be able to socially distance without uh, you know turning away anybody that wants to come to the games, if you know what I'm saying. And that's all the week's... I just forgot how to talk. And that's all the real news that we have for this week. Thanks for joining us today on The Frittle Show. Hope you and your family have a great rest of your weekend. And we look forward to hopefully seeing you at church on Sunday if you're here in Las Vegas. 8 o'clock at 9.45 or 11.30 are our Sunday morning service times. 6501 West Lake Mead Boulevard is our address. Hope to see you and your family here with us then and we will be with you again next week same time same place and of course as always you can find me on facebook or twitter at the frittle and i'll be happy to interact with you there have a great weekend everyone <laughs>